Hello, my lovelies, and welcome back to Bedtime Stories with Celosia Crane. This week, we're doing a little bit of a twist on the Cinderella story, and we are going to read a Cinder Lad story. This tale comes from the Celtic nation of Ireland and is called The Lad with the Goatskin. Long ago, a poor widow woman lived down near the Iron Forge by Enniscorth, and she was so poor she had no clothes to put on her son. So she used to fix him in the ash hole near the fire and pile the warm ashes about him. And according as he grew up, she sunk the pit deeper. At last, by hook or by crook, she got a goat skin and fastened it around his waist, and he felt quite grand and took a walk down the street. So says she to him next morning, Tom, you thief, you never done any good yet, and you six foot high and past nineteen. Take that rope and bring me a bundle of fuel from the wood. Never say twice, mother, says Tom. Here goes. When he had it gathered and tied, what should come up? but a big giant, nine foot high, and made a lick of a club at him. Well, become Tom, he jumped to one side and picked up a rampike, and the first crack he gave the big fellow he made him kiss the clod. If you have e'er a prayer, says Tom, now's the time to say it before I make fragments of you. I have no prayers, says the giant, but if you spare my life I'll give you that club. And as long as you keep from sin, you'll win every battle you ever fight with it. Tom made no bones about letting him off, and as soon as he got the club in his hands, he sat down on the bresna and gave it a tap with the kipping, and says, Bundle of fuel, I had great trouble gathering you, and run the risk of my life for you. The least you can do is carry me home. And sure enough, the wind of the word was all it wanted. It went off through the wood, groaning and crackling, till it came to the widow's door. Well, when the sticks were all burned, Tom was sent off again to pick more, and this time he had to fight with a giant that had two heads on him. Tom had a little more trouble with him, that's all, and the prayers he said was to give Tom a fife that nobody could help dancing when he was playing it. The next giant was a beautiful boy with three heads on him. He had neither prayers nor catechism, no more nor the others. And so he gave Tom a bottle of green ointment that wouldn't let you be burned, nor scalded, nor wounded. And now, he said, there's no more of us. You may come and gather sticks here till little lunacy day in harvest, without giant or fairy man to disturb you. Well, now. 
Tom was prouder nor ten paycocks and used to take a walk down the street in the heel of the evening. But some of the little boys had no more manners than if they were Dublin jackeens and put out their tongues at Tom's club and Tom's goatskin. He didn't like that at all, and it would be mean to give one of them a clout. At last, what should come through the town but a kind of a bellman? Only it's a big bugle he had, and a huntsman's cap on his head, and a kind of a painted shirt. So this, he wasn't a bellman, and I don't know what to call him, bugleman maybe, proclaimed that the king of Dublin's daughter was so melancholy that she didn't give a laugh for seven years, and that her father would grant her in marriage to whoever could make her laugh three times. That's the very thing for me to try, says Tom. And so, without burning any more daylight, he kissed his mother, curled his club at the little boys, and set off along the Yalla High Road to the town of Dublin. At last, Tom came to one of the city gates, and the guards laughed and cursed at him instead of letting him in. Tom stood it all for a little time, but at last one of them, out of fun, he said, drove his bayonet half an inch or so into his side. Tom done nothing but take the fellow by the scruff of the neck and the waistband of his corduroys and fling him into the canal. Some run to pull the fellow out, and others to let manners into the vulgarian with their swords and daggers. But a tap from his club sent them headlong into the moat or down on the stones, and they were soon begging him to stay his hands. So at last, one of them was glad enough to show Tom the way to the palace yard. And there was the king and the queen and the princess, in a gallery looking at all sorts of wrestling and sword-playing and long dances and mumming, all to please the princess. But not a smile came over her handsome face. Well, they all stopped when they seen the young giant, with his boy's face and long black hair, and his short curly beard for his poor mother couldn't afford to buy razors, and his great strong arms and bare legs, and no covering but the goatskin that reached from his waist to his knees. But an envious wizened bit of a fellow with a red head that wished to be married to the princess and didn't like how she opened her eyes at Tom, came forward and asked his business very snappishly. My business, says Tom, says he, is to make the beautiful princess, God bless her, laugh three times. Do you see all them merry fellows and skillful swordsmen, says the other, that could eat you up with a grain of salt and not a mother's soul of them ever got a laugh from her these seven years? So the fellows gathered round Tom, and the bad man aggravated him till he told them he didn't care a pinch of snuff for the whole billin' of them. Let them come on six at a time and try what they could do. The king, who was too far off to hear what they were saying, asked what did the stranger want. He wants, said the red-headed fellow, to make hairs of your best men. Oh, says the king, if that's the way, let one of them turn out and try his mettle. So one stood forward with sword and pot lid and made a cut at Tom. He struck the fellow's elbow with the club, and up and over their heads flew the sword, and down went the owner of it on the gravel from the thump he got on the helmet. 
another took his place, and another, and another, and then half a dozen at once, and Tom sent swords, helmets, shields, and bodies rolling over and over, and themselves bawling out that they were kilt and disabled and damaged, and rubbing their poor elbows and hips and limping away. Tom contrived not to kill anyone, and the princess was so amused that she let a great sweet laugh out of her that was heard all over the yard. King of Dublin, says Tom, I've quarter your daughter. And the king didn't know whether he was glad or sorry, and all the blood in the princess's heart run into her cheeks. So there was no more fighting that day, and Tom was invited to dine with the royal family. Next day, Redhead told Tom of a wolf the size of a yearling heifer that used to be serenading about the walls and eating people and cattle, and said what a pleasure it would give the king to have it killed. With all my heart, says Tom, send a jackeen to show me where he lives and we'll see how he behaves to a stranger. The princess was not well pleased for Tom looked a different person with fine clothes and a nice green cap over his long curly hair, and besides, he'd got one laugh out of her. However, the king gave his consent, and in an hour and a half the horrible wolf was walking into the palace yard, and Tom a step or two behind with his club on his shoulder, just as a shepherd would be walking after a pet lamb. The king and queen and princess were safe up in their gallery, but the officers and people of the court that were pad-rowing about the great bawn, when they saw the big beast come in, they themselves gave up and began to make for doors and gates. And the wolf licked his chops as if he was saying, Wouldn't I enjoy a breakfast off a couple of yees? The king shouted out, Oh, Tom with the goatskin, take away that terrible wolf, and you must have all my daughter. But Tom didn't mind him a bit. He pulled out his flute and began to play like vengeance. And Dickens a man or boy in the yard, but began shoveling away heel and toe, and the wolf himself was obliged to get on his hind legs and dance along with the rest. A good deal of the people got inside and shut the doors the way the hairy fellow wouldn't pin them. But Tom kept playing, and the outsiders kept dancing and shouting, and the wolf kept dancing and roaring with the pain his legs were giving him. And all the time his eyes were on Redhead, who was shut out along with the rest. Wherever Redhead went, the wolf followed, and kept one eye on him and the other on Tom, to see if he would give him leave to eat him. But Tom shook his head and never stopped the tune. And Redhead never stopped dancing and bawling, and the wolf dancing and roaring, one leg up and the other down, and he ready to drop out of his standing from fair tiresomeness. When the princess seen that there was no fear of anyone being killed, she was so diverted by the stew that Redhead was in that she gave another great laugh. And well become Tom, out he cried, King of Dublin, I have two halves of your daughter. Oh, halves or all, says the king, put away that divil of a wolf and we'll see about it. So Tom put his flute in his pocket and says to the beast that was sitting on his curabingo ready to faint, Walk off to your mountain, my fine fellow, and live like a respectable beast. 
and if ever I find you come within seven miles of any town, I'll... He said no more, but spit in his fist and gave a flourish of his club. It was all the poor devil of a wolf wanted. He put his tail between his legs and took to his pumps without looking at man or mortal. And neither sun, moon, or stars ever saw him in sight of Dublin again. At dinner, everyone laughed but the foxy fellow, and sure enough he was laying out how he'd settle poor Tom the next day. Well, to be sure, says he, King of Dublin, you are in luck. There's the Danes moitering us to no end. Deuce run to lusk with em. And if anyone can save us from em, it's this gentleman with the goatskin. There is a flail hanging on the collar beam in hell, and neither Dane nor devil can stand before it. So, says Tom to the king, will you let me have the other half of the princess if I bring you the flail? No, no, says the princess. I'd rather never be your wife than see you in that danger. But Redhead whispered and nudged Tom about how shabby it would look to renege the adventure. So he asked which way he was to go, and Redhead directed him. Well, he traveled and traveled till he came in sight of the walls of hell, and bedad before he knocked at the gates, he rubbed himself all over with the greenish ointment. When he knocked, a hundred little imps popped their heads out through the bars and asked him what he wanted. "'I want to speak to the big divil of all,' says Tom. "'Open the gate.' It wasn't long till the gate was thrown open and the old boy received Tom with bows and scrapes and axed his business. "'My business isn't much,' says Tom. "'I only came for the loan of that flail that I see hanging on the collar beam, "'for the King of Dublin to give a thrashing to the Danes.' "'Well,' says the other, "'the Danes is much better customers to me, "'but since you walk so far I won't refuse. "'Hand that flail,' says he to a young imp, "'and he winked the far-off eye at the same time. "'So,' While some were barring the gates, the young devil climbed up and took down the flail that had the handstaff and bolthine, both made out of red-hot iron. The little vagabond was grinning to think how it would burn the hands of Tom, but the dickens a burn it made on him, no more nor if it was a good oak sapling. Thank ye, said Tom. Now would you open the gate for a body and I'll give you no more trouble. Oh, tramp, says old Nick, is that the way? It is easier getting inside them gates than getting out again. Take that fool from him and give him a dose of the oil of stirrup. So one of the fellows put out his claws to seize on the flail, but Tom gave him such a welt of it on the side of his head that he broke off one of his horns and made him roar like a devil as he was. Well, they rushed at Tom but he gave them little and big such a thrashing as they didn't forget for a while. At last, the old thief of all rubbing his elbow, let the fool out, and woe to whoever lets him in again, great or small. So out marched Tom, and away with him, without minding the shouting and cursing, they kept up at him from the tops of the walls. And when he got home to the big bawn of the palace, there was never such running and racing 
as to see himself in the flail. When he had his story told, he laid down the flail on the stone steps and bid no one for their lives to touch it. If the king and queen and princess made much of him before, they made ten times much more out of him now. But Redhead, the mean scruff hound, stole over and thought to catch hold of the flail to make an end of him. His fingers hardly touched it when he let out a roar of him as if heaven and earth were coming together, and kept flinging his arms about and dancing, that it was pitiful to look at him. Tom run at him as soon as he could rise, caught his hands in his own two, and rubbed them this way and that, and the burning pain left them before you could reckon one. Well, the poor fellow, between the pain that was only just gone and the comfort he was in, had the comicliest face you ever seen. It was such a mix-their-own-gatherum of crying and laughing, everybody burst out laughing. The princess could not stop no more than the rest. And then says Tom, Now, ma'am, if there were fifty halves of you, I hope you'll give me them all. Well, the princess looked at her father, and by my word she came over to Tom and put her two delicate hands into his two rough ones. And I wish it was myself was in his shoes that day. Tom would not bring the flail into the palace. You may be sure nobody went near it, and when the early risers were passing next morning, they found two long clefts in the stone, where it was, after burning itself and opening downward, nobody could tell how far. But a messenger came in at noon and said that the Danes were so frightened when they heard of the flail coming into Dublin that they got onto their ships and sailed away. Well, I suppose before they were married, Tom got some man like Pat Mara of Tomanine to learn him the principles of politeness. Fluxians, gunnery, and fortification, decimal fractions, practice, and the rule of the three direct, the way he'd be able to keep up a conversation with the royal family. Whether he ever lost his time learning them sciences, I'm not sure, but it's as sure as fate that his mother never more saw any want till the end of her days. And that is the end of The Lad with the Goatskins. Bedtime Stories with Celosia Crane is proudly produced by Lantern Audio Works. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider giving us your support over on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Lantern Audio Works. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Lantern Audio Works. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to connect with me further, you can find me on Instagram at Celosia Crane underscore author. Link is in the show notes.